Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello! Welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm Jem Daduchu, and what we do now on this channel is we get a piece of pop culture, be it TV, video games, movies, and we reveal underneath it all there's either deliberately or accidentally influences from real history. This time round, we're doing the TV show The Good Place. Which means, of course, we're going to be talking a lot about philosophy, a fair bit about religion, and of course, the meaning of life. So I hope that's got your attention. What is The Good Place? If you haven't seen it, it's a comedy that's on Netflix. Uh, I believe that's both uh, in the UK and pretty much around the world. Uh, it's about 50 episodes long. Uh, most episodes are about sort of the standard American kind of 22 minutes. And the basic setup is I'm going to be avoiding spoilers because if you have not gone on the journey of The Good Place, it is unlike most other comedies, the plot is really important. Over the sort of lockdown period, my family and I have been watching a lot of comedies. An awful lot of them are American because the advantage is just more episodes. OK, look, there's no doubt something like Faulty Towers is pretty much the, the greatest comedy ever made. But, you know, after the 12 episodes, now what? So you get things like uh, 30 Rock or Parks and Recreation. And you're talking about 100 plus episodes of, of comedy and good comedy at that. A lot of these things, like, for example, Community, that's for a long time, it was a bit of a cult show. It managed to now be released onto Netflix. A lot of people discovering it for the first time. And that is pretty much every episode is its or virtually its own contained thing. It is one of the greatest comedies of the last 10, 15 years. But it lacks, like so many other comedies, much of an overarching story. Whereas the sheer genius of The Good Place is it is genuinely laugh out loud funny. But oh, my goodness, the, the story uh, structure becomes over the four seasons as, as complicated as, as any good drama out there. It really is a tour de force of writing. And started in 2017, actually finished in 2020. And so, yeah, if you want to watch it, it's it's finished earlier this year 
off you go, fill your boots. So what's the basic premise? Well, we start with this woman called Eleanor Shellstrop. She wakes up in a waiting room and painted on the wall uh, opposite her is welcome. And I can't remember the rest of the line, but it's just a cheery little statement written in a nice font. And it says, Eva's welcome, exclamation mark. And then a door opens and a silver fox Ted Danson. Do you remember Ted Danson from Three Men and a Little Baby or Cheers? Well, he's in this. Um, and his name's Michael. And he explains he's the architect of this particular good place. And what is the good place? Well, the, the bad news for Eleanor is she's dead. But the good news is she's made it to the good place. Now, the one spoiler I'll give you at the, the beginning of this, because it's in episode one, okay? I'm not going to reveal stuff from like episode 40 or something like that. Basically, Eleanor has walked around the good place. Michael's talking to her about all the amazing things she did on planet Earth and, and basically says that, you know, while we're on planet Earth, it's a test. It's a test of our morality. And, you know, you get points for good things you do and you get minus points for bad and selfish things you do. But, oh, my goodness, the way she looked after the Ukrainian orphans and the way that she was a lawyer who fought for human rights. And this is just amazing. And she's introduced to her soulmate, Chidi Anna Gonye, who I'll come back to in a minute. And she sits down with him. And right at the end of the first episode, she says, OK, so you're my soulmate. You're obliged to back me up no matter what. And he goes, yes, absolutely. And she goes, yeah, I'm not meant to be here. All the stuff that they've been talking about is not me. So it turns out Eleanor Shellstrop is Arizona trash. And you find out more about Eleanor and she is not a noble individual. So, that, so that's where I'll leave it in terms of the, the gags, if you like. So we're talking about an afterlife comedy. Everybody in it you're going to see is dead. So that, that's pretty uh, a pretty unusual premise for a comedy. And the, the key thing here is both Chidi and Michael, because uh, Chidi Anagonye, I think you can guess from his name, he's a black man, he's from Senegal, but he ends up becoming a philosophy professor in Australia. And Eleanor realizes that if she's going to in any way fit in with all these beautiful, wonderful, good people, she's going to have to learn how to be good, which leads to the question, what is good? Because there are different philosophical structures about how society should behave and, and whether you are and aren't good and, and, and things like that. So I'll come back to that in a moment. But also there's very early on a little bit of a throwaway. It might even be in episode one when Eleanor asked the obvious question. OK, so who got it right? Who being religions? Because... If there's a an overarching point to religion, it's that it explains to us the most unknowable out, out there. What happens when we die? If you're listening to this, we have two things in common. You live, you're born, and you die. And it, your death is inevitable. And I'm going to say that, that death is, is not something, you know, I think a premature death, an early death is a very, very sad thing. I will share with you a sort of bit of my private life here. Uh, but sadly, by the time I was 21, I had buried three of my friends uh, on, in different situations. For example, one died of cerebral malaria 
in West Africa. And seeing these young men, uh, one day died at the age of 16, one died at the age of 18, and one died at the age of 21. These were good friends of mine. You know, I'm now more than double that age. And there's a part of me that sort of wonders how these fine young men would have grown up and to be what, what they would have been. So that's sad. But when you get something like a 95-year-old great-grandmother passing away, we can all agree that's sad. But at the same time, they've had a chance to live their life. And I've even sort of seen documentaries and read books talking about the miracle of death, pointing out the hard fact that if nobody died, we wouldn't be able to make way for the next generation with all their energy and enthusiasm and their right to make the same mistakes that we made as stupid teenagers and so on and so forth. I think that, you know, we have a weird relationship with death. And, and if you like, this is where I'm coming to the philosophy and the meaning of life stuff. But before we get there, religion has always served a purpose throughout the whole of history to help people with the mourning process. It's what all the religions in the world have in common. They all have their rituals about how to say goodbye. And also they have their stories about how does that loved one continue their journey? Be it in ancient Egypt where they're embalmed and they're sort of uh, carried across uh, into the afterlife and they have their soul weighed against a feather, things like that. A bit like the point system um, or, you know, uh, with, with Christianity and the sort of like the, the resurrection and, and things like that. So you, you get the idea. But, you know, you could spend an entire career doing a deep dive on the funerary rituals of all the religions around the world, both existing and the ones that no longer exist anymore. And also, you know, what they believe the afterlife to be, because we all want to know. And look, you may have di a difference of opinion on this, but overall science agrees that nobody's come back to tell us really. OK, uh, you know, some people's hearts have stopped for three minutes and then they've seen a bright light. But that's not quite the same thing as somebody who's been dead 10 years coming back and going, right, this is exactly what happens. So anyway, in the good place, Eleanor actually asked Michael, OK, so who got it right? And he basically turns around and says, well, I don't want to give away the, the gag at the end of this, but he says, look, you know, the Buddhists got about 5% of it right. The Christians got about 5% of it right. The Muslims got it about 5%. So in other words, you know, all, all the, the religions of the world kind of, you know, got the essence, but then added their own interpretation to it. And, you know, this is not a very religious, um, it's not irreverent. You know, you, you don't get to see, I don't know, Jesus in a biker jacket or something silly like that. There, there are no sort of like religious icons in any way in, in this TV show, but it does raise the question about, so what happens? And sort of points out to you that if you were to compare life to a sort of game show where you got points for good things and, and negatives for, for your sort of selfish actions, then that probably wouldn't be the world's worst overall way of working it out. But then we come to what is good. And this, on top of the clever writing about the overall story, this lightweight comedy where there are sort of jokes about Florida a lot in it. Also, the British upper class, there's uh, gags about that and, and the paparazzi. You know, there's very accessible humor in it. My kids have seen it and they, you know, they laugh long and hard about it. But going back to Chidi and his philosophy professorship, he teaches Eleanor and he keeps making reference to the great philosophers of the past. 
And if I give you two names of ancient Greek philosophers, you know them. Aristotle and Plato. Instantly you go, yeah, I've heard of those guys. But have you ever read The Republic by Plato? Maybe, maybe not. Unlikely that you did it in the original ancient Greek. But what's interesting about sort of Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, you know, these sort of humanist philosophers is if you look at what they were saying around about 500 BC, 4-500 BC, and then fast forward to the time of Jesus, Jesus was bringing this sort of humanist angle to religion, talking about the individual and their personal responsibilities and things like this. In essence, all those ideas of Jesus had been already written down, admittedly on another continent and another language. But if you like, the reason why there are about two billion Christians on planet Earth, as opposed to two billion Aristotelian philosophers on planet Earth, is because unlike Plato and Aristotle and Socrates, Jesus made it accessible. He kept bringing out these ideas as parables. Parables are stories created to serve a purpose of learning. So Perhaps one of the most classic famous ones is the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, the, the son goes off, does lots of crazy stuff, comes back and the father still loves him. OK, so that if you like, the message of this is that, you know, your, your family should always support you. But at the same time, you, you know, you, you can go off and be stupid and that's kind of on you. But you do always have a chance to, to learn again. Aristotle and Plato said similar things, but because it was in the middle of a dense text, it didn't get out there to the general population. First of all, you had to be literate, okay? But if you're sort of talking to the crowds and they can spread it around and the, the Bible got translated into lots of different languages pretty quickly, not quite the same with the ancient Greek philosophers, that explains an awful lot there, right? Just, just right there. But interestingly, when I started off with two of them, I chose them deliberately, Aristotle and Plato. These... I think we can all agree, are major players in this particular gig of philosophy. But th while they made lots of sense, these are two examples of men who were basically of their time. Both these philosophers who came up with nuanced views on humanity and what makes us human also argued for slavery. Now, to be clear, they weren't being, I mean, Aristotle was overt saying some people are born to be slaves, that they just need a master, a strong hand. He wasn't actually being racist. You so in the modern world, we tend to conflate slavery, which absolutely happened to black people, with only black people. And actually, no, over the Renaissance era into the sort of like uh, Age of Enlightenment, North African pirates kept raiding places like Spain and Italy and southern France. And over sort of several centuries, they managed to get three million white Europeans into slavery. And when the Doomsday Book was written in the 1080s in, in Anglo-Saxon England, we now know because you had a list of everything that was sort of uh, in terms of like land owned and sort of populations and things like that. About 10% of England's population was slaves. 
and it's highly unlikely that any of them were black. These were might be Welshmen, these might be just local Kentish men or whatever. So slavery has been in every civilization and it wasn't until the 19th century. Technically, Haiti, one of the few, few rare examples of a successful slave revolt against its over, you know, the French overlords and becoming its own independent state and funnily enough banning slavery. So Haiti came first, Denmark shortly after those. Neither of those were major players in the slaving market. It was Britain only a couple of years later, um, who actually stopped the North Atlantic trade and indeed invested a huge amount of money in, in stopping other countries so shipping slaves. And it wasn't a perfect system by any means. And, you know, it took time. That was stopping the slave trade. It didn't actually stop slavery. That was to come, you know, decades later in, you know, different parts of the empire. I know it's complicated. I'm not sort of saying the British are the good guys, but nor the British overtly the bad guys because from the Aztecs to the Zulus, see what I did there from A to Z. You know, all civilizations had slavery and it was really only in the 19th century when people went, hang on, is owning people right? And coming up with a conclusion, no, it isn't. But it does mean that you're reading someone like Aristotle and Plato and you think that they've kind of nailed it and they make all this sense and actually, no. Other great ones, sort of fast forwarding several thousand years, you get to the Middle Ages and you get people like Thomas Aquinas and Saint Augustine. And again, these, these philosophers, these medieval Christian philosophers said lots of great things about the, the concepts of morality and individual effort in try, in terms of trying to create a more equitable and just society. But again, also back slavery. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So none of these people, because, you know, we, I think we tend to think of philosophers as almost being foolproof, but they're not. Let's take it a little bit further. We get to people like Kant, for example. Kantian philosophy is mentioned quite a lot in The Good Place. And I'm not going to sort of like bog you down in it because The Good Place does such a good job of summarizing these philosophical concepts and also sometimes making them really funny, too. But you then get to, of course, Nietzsche, which I've heard some people refer to as, oh, he's Hitler with uh, A-levels. And he isn't. What's really interesting is Nietzsche, I mean, look, he came up with the idea of the, the Superman, you know, the, the, the sort of the perfect being, the Ubermensch, you know, and, and stuff like that. So he did come up with ideas that, of course, could be corrupted and taken into all kinds of dark places. But the reason why it's been read as being quite fascist and sort of like quite pro-eugenics, uh, eugenics is kind of like um, the, the sort of study of races and trying to sort out which ones are better. Obviously, it's a deeply racist concept and uh, is a pseudoscience. It has no actual scientific uh, concepts behind it. That's because he, Nietzsche's, when he died, Nietzsche's sister had access to his library and his writings, and his sister was a real Nazi. I mean, genuinely, met Hitler, was a card-carrying Nazi, and so she was the one who distorted her brother's memory and that and it's taken decades to kind of unpick her amendments to what was originally said so there's a bit of philosophical history going on there for you guys taking you on a journey from you know from 500 bc to the 20th century just with a bit of philosophy so all of this is going on on top of the sort of the thoughts about religion too but i also wanted to talk a bit about judith jarvis thompson because Judith Jarvis Thompson is a 20th century philosopher. It's, if you like, brings us almost bang up to date because an entire episode is based on one of her thought experiments. You get this a lot in things like theoretical physics, where you can't build a laboratory to come up with the the solution. And the same thing with philosophy. If you like that, the classic philosophical question is, if a tree falls down in the forest and nobody's there to hear it, does it make a sound? And the point of that isn't just for you to go, well, duh, of course it does. The point is, well, what do you mean by sound? Is a sound something that, is it, does it only become a sound when it hits somebody's ears? Before that, it's just sort of like air pressure waves echoing through the, the forest. What is the meaning of the word sound? And, and if you like, and this is a running gag in The Good Place, this is what makes philosophers so annoying, because they are willing to argue about anything and everything. But what Judith Jarvis Thompson did in 1976, so this is pretty recent, is she came up with something that's so famous, I think we've all got a passing understanding of it, but like I say, there's an entire episode sort of dedicated to it, and it's referenced a few other times in, in The Good Place. She came up with the trolley problem. And what it is, is you're on a trolley, you know, what one of those sort of, imagine one of those things going down the hills of San Francisco, you know, a single carriage on rails, okay? And it's suddenly, it's out of control and the brakes have gone. And you are careering down this hill. Now, if you do nothing, you can see that there are five workmen who are oblivious to this trolley coming towards them. And if you don't do anything, this trolley 
will go and smash all five of those people and kill all five of those individuals. However, you have the opportunity to pull a lever and put it onto the secondary track. And on that track, there's just one person there. Now, the point of it isn't to say, what do you do next? Because no matter what happens, somebody's going to die. In this thought experiment, nobody was killed in the making of this philosophical thought experiment. But the point about it is every action then leads to more conversation. So if you do nothing, are you accountable? Everybody knows Batman doesn't kill. That's strictly not true. If you look back in the 1930s, he even had a gun. But anyway, in Batman Begins, the first Christopher Nolan Batman movie, he's there with Liam Neeson in the in the train and it's smashing around. And he goes, I won't kill you, but I don't have to save you. And then just lets him die in the in the train crash. And it's like, well, picking up on Judith Giles Thompson's uh, trolley problem, if you don't, if, if you could have saved someone's life, but then choose not to, are you accountable for that? Now, again, there, there isn't just a hard and fast answer to this, but it leads to some interesting questions. And in the case of the trolley, if you pull that lever, you have made the choice to kill that one person. Now, you've done it for good reason because you're saving the five people there. But, you know, what do you do? And, and then you can mix it up. What happens if you know that one person, let's say it's your mother, you're not going to kill your mother, but then your choice of saving your mother will kill five people's lives. And it, and it leads into bigger questions as it does in the good place where it says, OK, but then we start looking at, at medicine. OK, we, if, if this person is terminally ill, they're definitely, definitely going to die. Medicine cannot save them. But we've got, let's, let's say in another room, there's a person who needs a new heart. There's a person who needs a new liver. There's a person who needs a new lung. And they need it now to, to live, you know. So in other words, if we euthanize this person who is going to die anyway, take out their organs to get these three people to live and survive, is that acceptable? Again, no hard and fast answer in that one. But this is where philosophers turn themselves a little bit crazy over a period of time as they try and sort of work out, are there answers to these things? And I think it's great. I, I think the thing that's kind of forgotten is when you take uh, Socrates is perhaps the one I, I don't know the best. Yeah, I hang out with Socrates all the time, have a beer with it. If you're ancient Greek and you're living in Athens, you didn't just sit around being a philosopher. We know for a fact that Socrates served in the army to become a citizen which was the rules in Athens at that time. So, you know, this is a man, and we all sort of think of him as this old guy in a toga, but as a young man, he would have had the bronze armor strapped on him, and he would have had the huge shield and the massive long spear, and, you know, he would have been in a Greek phalanx fighting in battles. This is a man who did other things. In the modern world, in the modern 21st century, we've all become very niche very, very quickly with the whole virus thing that's going on at the moment. If you compare it to the Great Depression of the 1930s, what you got uh, over and over again were these huge, depressingly long lines of unemployed men out to find work. And it just, I mean, yes, obviously we've now got the internet so you can do your searches from home. But the thing is, if you have spent the last 15 years becoming a fully qualified, let's say, HR professional or let's say, marketing manager or plumber or, or whatever. The point is, you can't just slip into another job. 
that plumber can't become a marketing manager. That HR person can't become an electrician overnight. Whereas a hundred years ago, give or take, most jobs were relatively manual. And so if you could do one, you could do another. You could work in a building site or you could sort of like work on the docks, sort of like moving stuff around basically. And therefore there was a greater flexibility of the workplace. And so now we found our own niches, our own values, if you like. And this horrible uh, situation in 2020 has meant that some of us are simply not allowed to do our day jobs for various health reasons. Other people have found their their day job has been hugely complicated by various government restrictions. And, you know, the government's not doing it because they want to make your life hard. They're doing it because they're trying to help society. It's the trolley problem all over again. To annoy everybody, to horrifically damage the economy, this could save an unknown amount of people's lives is it worth the disruption? And of course, there are some people who've clearly argued, no, I think my freedom of expression is more important than basic health requirements of this country. And yeah, I, I, I'm, actually, I'm going to come down that and say that's wrong. You know, you, you need to be helping each other. But it shows you that philosophy isn't just stuff that happens in books. Philosophy does lead a society as a whole. And going back to Socrates and Aristotle and, you know, Thomas Aquinas and everybody else, they did other jobs. Whereas now we've, we've got kind of got rooms of these people and all they do is think. It, again, it could be something like a quantum physicist. It could be a philosopher. You know, there, there are these super specialized roles where they're basically paid to sit there and think. And it can lead them into all kinds of dark places. But I think we need to applaud them on that. And then, as I said, you know, this leads to the biggest question of all, going back to death, going back to the afterlife, what is the meaning of life? And there's an element to this in The Good Place. I don't want to go any further because this does come up later on in the series. And so you, you get to explore that all on your own. Please, this is a classic example of I'd love to hear your views. If you want to sort of like grab me on Twitter, I'm at Jem Daduccio on Twitter. I'm History Gems with a G on Facebook. You, you can always reach out to, to Greg as well. You know, links below the podcast. There'll be lots of ways to talk to us. I'd love to see whether you've seen it, whether I've made a good enough picture to go, I'm going to give this a try. Well, this is really, really good. Um, full disclosure, when I first saw the trailer, I thought that looks interesting. And my, my wife went, no, I'm not so sure. And then I sort of like watched a couple of episodes and went, this is good. This wasn't what I thought it was. This is really good. And then I made Liz sit down and watch it with me and we absolutely loved it. And then we watched it all the way again through with my kids. The, yes, the meaning of life. That's the ultimate. It's the ultimate, and it's an example where religion and philosophy cross over. Because religions tend to say the meaning of life is to please a certain deity or to please a certain spiritual structure, and that will lead to ultimately rewards. Philosophers, well, there's as many opinions on that as there are philosophers. And I've got to admit, they've written some very dense books. And, and if you like, this is the hard thing that the writers of The Good Place had to do because, you know, Chidi in the series is a real expert of philosophy and the writers weren't. So they were constantly pouring over articles, you know, 
could they sit down and, and brace themselves to read the whole of Plato? But the point is, just to find one gag about Plato wasn't good enough. You know, they had to keep bouncing around with, you know, Hobbes and, you know, Kant and all these other people as well. And, and, and so they needed just to keep reading up on philosophy. Funnily enough, they could do uh, the gags about Florida and alligators were much easier to work out. But these writers were educating themselves too, uh, all at the same time. So I absolutely encourage you to give The Good Place uh, a try if you haven't done. If you have, share your experiences. Has it changed your points of view on anything at all? Love to hear that. And, and also, with 2020 being such an unusual year in all of our lives, I think it's led to all of us thinking a little bit harder about morality and about what is the point of all of this. I would argue that if we're just talking about this year, 2020 is about survival. 2020 is about getting to the end of this pandemic and still having food in your belly and healthy lungs that aren't disease ridden with this virus. Anybody sitting here there at the moment going, oh, you know, I'm worried about my career. I think you need to be more worried about your job. Uh, I think everybody's kind of put their lives on hold, but it's allowed us to start thinking about, so what is important to me? We all need a certain amount of money to sort of make sure that we pay the bills, put food in our bellies, you know, keep the, the lights on, that kind of stuff. But after that, money tends to go down in terms of, you know, does it make us happy? The things that again and again tend to make human beings happy is human interaction, being with friends and family. And that's what this virus has taken away from us. It's also why we feel so profoundly sad when somebody, or somebody passes away. You know, if, if you're, you know, great grandfather, you know, you know, I used the example earlier about the 95 year old and maybe they were suffering from dementia and they had a terrible, horrible last couple of years of their life. They've now had peace, but we are sad because we will never be able to talk to them again. But that's us. Grief is fundamentally quite selfish because for the person themselves, they've moved on. And exactly what happens next? Well, Maybe the good place has the answer. I can't think of a better way to finish this. So thanks very much for listening. There'll be more next week. Uh, do hit us up. Do share this, please. Um, I'm using the same format as I did in my old podcast, Neon. And we got to tens of thousands of downloads, which is not something we managed to do with con condensed history. So please, I encourage you to spread the word. I know this is the sort of format that people find popular. So you know, the more we can get people into this, the more we can grow the love and you know, maybe catch uh, Acast's attention as well. Thanks very much as always, and hopefully see you soon. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.